0: Hi, my name is Jerry Mitchell, and I'm a Broadway director and choreographer. I am so grateful for all of the people and the work that I have been able to do and share in in this community.
1: I first met six foot four Jerry Mitchell at the auditions at 890 Broadway for the master director, choreographer, show creator, Michael Bennett. I was auditioning for a then Broadway workshop called Scandal, starring Swoozy Kurtz and Treat Williams, may he rest in peace, Kelly Bishop, and many other Broadway divas. And then there were auditions for the ensemble. The ensemble would also include some solos. Uh, I got one of them after multiple auditions and I got to sing music by Jimmy Webb and say lines by Treva Silverman. And I got to work with Jerry Mitchell who very shortly after that experience started to direct and choreograph multiple productions himself, and has since gone on to win two Tony Awards, and most recently he was honored with the Isabel Stevenson Tony Award for his work with Broadway Bears. He has singularly been responsible for raising millions and millions of dollars for Equity Fights AIDS. Is michelle zeitlin the host of passion to power with the one and only jerry mitchell jerry it's so great to see
0: you <laughs> oh my god it's so great to see you you look fantastic
1: <laughs> so do you we're, we're we're keeping prime
0: hey you gotta keep moving gotta keep moving
1: and you buried a younger man so you're staying fit
0: very younger man yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he's so cute he's a ginger yeah.
0: He's super cute, he's a ginger, super talented Ricky Schroeder, Ricky A. Schroeder, and known as Ricky Ash on streaming services. He's just started to post some of his music, a uh, couple of covers he's done, and he's got some original stuff coming up, which is really fabulous. Welcome to Passion to Power with your host, Michelle Zeitlin. She's a creative producer who quote unquote, wears many hats. She's also a talent and literary manager and founded the company Zap Productions and Management. She develops people and projects across all media. Her guests encompass the gamut, from artists to authors, actors to activists. Please welcome Michelle
1: Zeitlin, Passion to Power. And yeah. you've been married less than a year, right? Well, we've been
0: together for 11 years, 10 years going on our 11th year. And we got we were going to get married before the pandemic, of course, like everyone. And then that happened. And so we waited two years so we could have a, we were lucky. Nobody got COVID at our wedding last October. And a month later, his mom had a Thanksgiving party and we didn't go. And 14 of them got COVID at the Thanksgiving dinner. But we had everybody test, even though it was well into the pandemic, you know, we were everybody was vaccinated we said let's just have everybody test because we're all going to be together for the whole weekend and we won't have to worry we all tested everybody was clean no covid and a month later they had things (laughs) up at his parents place in rochester and a bunch of them got covid so you know it's just it's what the it's what the theater industry is dealing with right you know we we still we still we don't test like we did, some shows do, depending on where, traveling shows more than more than Broadway shows. But then if you get sick and you test, you stay home so you don't get everybody else sick.
1: Seeing that my audience is the aspiring creatives, 18 to 26, and the pivoting creatives from anywhere from 42 to 59 is what the analytics say. I, you know, I'm in that pod. Um, I wanted to talk about the process of being that person you used to think of wanting to be. You know, as you say, uh, a young queer artist working with Michael Bennett, being in the Skeleton Crew, an associate choreographer, one of the first to get the Created By credit, if not the first, right, on Broadway. We were in the Skeleton Crew with Michael Bennett and now you're that guy. You're that guy who is doing Broadway television film. You develop projects. You won two Tonys that I'm aware of for Kinky Boots and, and the revival of La Cage. Did I leave anything out? Yeah, yeah. Kinky yeah. Boots and La Yeah, and then um, I did a terrible audition for you coming back to the st- <laughs> I think, about 25 years ago. <laughs> when you what? were a TV movie, I think it was a Christmas show or something. Um, there was like lots of dancing and period costumes, and I was doing great until we had to tap.
0: You mean you mean for... Um- Geppetto? Was it for Geppetto? It
1: was Geppetto.
0: For Disney, maybe? This
1: was before I had kids.
0: Well, you didn't miss that much. It (laughs) it it turned out to not be such a great show, but I had a ball.
1: (laughs) All right, so here's what I want to talk about. Um, You have 17 nieces and nephews. You're now a married man. You have this incredible gestalt of work. What are you most proud of and, when you reflect on the work that you've done, what would you say to yourself, your much younger self, now that you've had all of this time?
0: Well, what I'm most proud of is the things that I have coming up. <laughs> really? I mean, you know, you focus on the new stuff. I don't always look back. You, oh, you've, you've asked a million questions. So first of all, I think what keeps you young and I think what keeps me young or keeps me active is the next thing. And being able to be in the place where I'm at right now, where I get to choose those things, really has made a huge difference, and I'm very careful about those choices that I make. Um, When I was starting out, I I never really thought I would be that person you know you don't think you just you're just excited to dance you're excited to be in the room and then you're excited to be the assistant and then you're excited to be the associate and then you're dreaming of being the choreographer and then you become the choreographer and you think well I really could direct that and now you're the director choreographer and uh, I think it was Cheetah who said just say yes to everything and you'll get to be an age and you'll look back and you'll go oh I have a career right so that's kind of what I feel like I feel like I've always been the guy who said yes absolutely count me in I'm there but I'm also that person who I knew I wanted to be in the theater. There was nowhere else I wanted to be. I didn't really want to do movies, I didn't really want to do TV. I wanted to be in the room with the people I admired and when I got the opportunity to be in the room with them, I stayed in the room. I didn't go out of the break. Go out on the break. I stayed in and I watched them and I learned from them and then they saw me sitting around and they said, "Get over here and stand up and dance." And you just I just was always present. And I think that's 80% of it. The other 20% is just having that desire to do it and nothing else, right? And that's a lot of sacrifice. The one thing in my career that I'm most proud of, it would definitely be Broadway Bears, which celebrated its 31st edition. And we made $1,887,000 for Broadway cares, Equity fights AIDS, and one night of modern day burlesque. And over the over the years, I think the the, the total now is like over twenty six million dollars, which is just crazy. Coming to New York City in nineteen eighty, by nineteen ninety, I had lost, as you knew, also many friends, colleagues, dancers college friends eight of my college friends and then of course losing michael bennett to aids and it it made me want to do something i had to do something and so i created a burlesque show and that burlesque show 31 years later is still you know Taking it off for charity, we had we had Saturday night. It was in it was in um, San Francisco, Broadway Bears Seven, and about a month ago, I was in Milan, Italy, for Italy Bears Four. So a young dancer approached me from Italy, and he's been doing Italy Bears, which is you know it's just crazy that this little thing I created has inspired others and continues to help fight stigma and celebrate life and living with HIV. So it's really, that's really special.
1: Pivotal. Um, I think also since we were 22, at that time working with Michael, I think I was 22 when I got the job, um, there's been such a change in how people approach gender fluidity, sexual identity, uh, you know all these uses of pronouns the the world has changed since that time and for 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 mostly better in terms of that conversation would you agree?
0: Absolutely well inclusion inclusion will always lead to a better outcome. That's really hard for a lot of people to to understand and accept because people people don't, the general population doesn't understand other. It it has a it has it takes work to understand other. It takes um it just takes the 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 ability to open yourself up. And and I've learned so much. Broadway Bears has taught me so much because that 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 creation of Broadway Bears started with seven guys, right? Asian, black, white you know we were up on stage stripping and from that very first broadway bears to last night's broadway bears we have always been inclusive we've we were we were i think we were the first show first broadway show well first benefit show to have a transgender performer and in, in a lead strip we were the first show to have a a, a wounded warrior with a with a prosthetic leg strip in Broadway Bears from from uh, uh, from uh, the veterans wounded warriors and he, and we gave him a donation for his organization but he came in and was just so excited to be a part of Broadway Bears and we've opened up a lot of possibility with with that benefit show and visualized a lot of possibility of inclusion. And last night was, uh, Sunday night was no exception. I mean, the show was just full of everyone that represents our community.
1: And we've gone through decades um, of overlapping friends and colleagues. You know, I know Jeff Amston was involved in his early years. And I have a friend, Ariadne Valariel, who for years worked with Equity Fights AIDS. And it's just so funny. There's been so many threads. And, um, you know, in L.A., taking off your clothes is like no biggie. we do it on television all the time. It's called contemporary dance. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: I we did an early Broadway Bears in LA for APLA, and it was it was early on, like maybe around seven or eight, and we had an amazing time doing it. And we of course knew the same dancers who were working both on the West Coast and the East Coast. The difference in New York City is that the theater community literally we not only not really everyone, but a majority of the dancers live within a 10 block ten block radius of each other there are no cars to get into it's everybody's walking to rehearsal walking to the theater so you see these people on a daily basis when you're working in, on Broadway and what I wanted to do was bring all of those people together in one room and allow them to I was a dancer at the time and I didn't have the money to go to an expensive benefit, but I wanted to help. And I thought, well, there's more like me. So let's get together and we'll put on a show and we'll be able to help from our level. And that level grew into this massive thing. I mean, it was ten dollars a ticket. When we started Broadway Bears last night, the top ticket was thirty five hundred dollars, and they got to come to my house for a cocktail party beforehand and got treated. It's called the Stripper Spectacular, I and they get the
1: work of, of, of putting in a thirty five hundred dollar ticket. You get to come to Jerry's house. By the way, for those who can't see on this podcast, he is sitting in front of his um, <laughs> multiple posters and knickknacks and kinky boot. Uh, drawings and
0: Greg Barnes have give me a little tour. yeah there's a lot of stuff the Tonys are in the other room on the piano but but there's a lot of theater paraphernalia you know, you're gonna have to drag
1: you into your living room that's the <laughs> wonderful thing about doing zoom rooms right you could just yeah. your interview through your house yeah speaking of house where do you live
0: well, we, we have this this house, this this apartment, this is in New York City, but we have a house at Fire Island at the beach also, which we've had for about 12 years now. And that's kind of like a place to go run to, to get away from the city and chill. We basically, we we went there when the pandemic hit on March 15th, 16th, we were in a workshop, Ricky was in a workshop with me, I was doing a workshop and the pandemic hit and the workshop nobody showed up for it the day of because uh, you know everybody was now in lockdown and on Saturday we went out and thinking we'll be at the house for a couple weeks and then Broadway will be back open and we basically stayed in the house at the beach for a whole year which I'd never done.
1: So let's talk now about Boop. Is that a Betty Boop?
0: It is based on the cartoon character Betty Boop, yes.
1: Tell me about Boop. What can it's you an
0: ori- It's an original musical. Uh, the music is by David Foster. Wow. And the lyrics are by Susan Birkenhead and the book is by Bob Martin. Bill Haver is the lead producer. We'll start, we'll start in September and we'll go to Chicago where I prefer to go for out-of-town tryouts. And uh, we'll spend some time in Chicago and then hopefully we'll be on Broadway in the spring of next year. Um, but it's based on a story I pitched to the gang and, and Bob re- wrote it and, uh, we're ready to get it going. And I'm still searching for a few of the characters in the show a few of the actors. We've been do- doing a lot of auditions. We're almost fully cast and, um, yeah, the score is spectacular. It's spectacular. We did a, we did a three week lab workshop, whatever you call them these days in the room. I choreographed about four numbers and, uh presented it and everybody was super psyched and we got a theater and on we went.
1: Amazing. And is it, does it work like it used to where you needed to uh, um, appeal to the Broadway backers at this early? Junction? Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. 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 You have to, that was the, the three week lab was m- much of that, but we're still, we're still, uh, you know, having producers, join us different producers who've heard about it, listened to the music, read the script, come on board. Um, it's a, it's going to be, It's going to be a fabulous musical. I'm very excited about it.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so tell me about the other fabulous uh, Devil Wears Prada in Britain.
0: Well, Devil Wears Prada is going to happen in the UK a year from now, and that's based on the film with a music by Elton John and uh, uh, Kate Weatherhead and Shana Tauba have written the uh, lyric. Shane has written the lyrics and and, uh, Kate's written the book and um and then also in london i bought the rights to an original book called becoming nancy which i fell in love with and it's a british story original it's a you know it's from a book um it's about a young boy who auditions for the school musical oliver and he gets cast as Nancy because he has the best voice in the school. He's a senior or upper sixth. Um, And he starts to have feelings for the young boy who gets cast as Bill Sykes. And it's uh, it's his real awakening and um, it takes place in 1979 right when the Rock Against Racism riots were happening in East Dulwich and his best friend in the story is a young black girl named Frances and so it delves into that period and when I read the book I thought there were so many similarities to my own life and to what was really happening with young people right now and I thought it was really it was just a perfect story about, a perfect story to be told, um, made into a musical, about, you know, accepting yourself and and your friends and um, and uh, yeah, allowing others the grace and space they need to thrive. And I just loved the story, loved the story. So we started working on it and I'm really excited about bringing that to the London next year also.
1: You say that was by a British author?
0: Yeah, Terry Ronald wrote wrote the book and um, uh, Stiles and Drew uh, wrote the score and now Terry and Elliot Davis, who wrote the adaption for the stage, also have contributed to new music for the show. So it's really, it's really great. I mean, and the, 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 the when I was looking for something to read on the plane, the quote that was in the magazine from, the I think it was Day Times Magazine, was by Kylie Minogue. And so I ran to the bookstore and bought the book. It was the last copy. And then come to come. Kylie is a good friend of Terry's, and he's worked with her and her sister and worked with them on their music. And Steve Anderson, who's who's produced a lot of their music, is working with us on the music and producing some of the some of the music for us. So it's real. it's got a real contemporary. The boy has posters in his bedroom of Kate Bush, um, Debbie, Harry, and Sting. And the posters come to life and sort of try to guide him on his journey. And the characters are played by his mother, his aunt, and his his drama teacher. It's dual roles for the actors. So it's just theatrically, It's a, it's a lot of fun.
1: wanted to ask you a question, one of the ones I sent ahead, which was when you are recreating a show, for example, Legally Blonde, and you have to recast it, do you use the blueprint of your original vision when you're casting? Do you try to match, or do you... You, you mean the
0: movie? You mean the movie? Um,
1: when you did the the stage production, yeah, you recreate these stage productions. Do you use yeah. the blueprint of the cast... <laughs> in your mind do you think oh just throwing out a fake name Cindy i'm going to find another Cindy or do you kind of go blank again
0: i go blank i go blank I, I i look at the movie and i and i ask myself why were those people cast right if i if i'm if i'm developing a film and uh you know in when i legally blonde's a great example because the thing the thing i took away from the film of legally blonde was the people were defined before they said anything The minute they came on screen, you knew who Serena was, you knew who Vivian was, you knew who Warner was, you knew who Elle was. So I looked for actors who could give me that impression before they opened their mouth. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of what I did in casting that. In, In casting a pretty woman, for instance, I was really looking for somebody who could sing the music of Brian Adams, right? I mean, Brian wrote some kick-ass rock tunes for the character Kit, which is Vivian's best friend. And the minute I heard his original song "Rodeo Drive," I thought of my friend Orfe, who had played Paulette for me, and in um in League of and had a rock and roll voice and a brassiness that I wanted to bring to the character. So she originated it on Broadway. On the West End, I hired um my first my first girl was my Vivian was my Amber from Hairspray, uh Rachel, but I I recently the girl who just closed it, uh, uh Courtney was one of the queens from six. And she also played Elle Woods in the park last year. So, you know, you cast the personality who can fill the acting role more than the visual. It's it's really for me, it's about the actor and do they have the requirements that the role the role requires.
1: And when do you come into the casting process? How soon are you involved?
0: Right at the very beginning. Right at the very I, I sit with the I usually the casting. Whoever the casting director is and myself, we sit and we talk through all the parts and then they go out and start looking at people and they bring me back people if I can't be in the room, but usually I'm, I'm in the room for most of my principal casting.
1: I would imagine I mean just knowing you and how we we worked with Michael you're so hands on.
0: Yeah, I love to be in the room. I love to see I love to find new dancers, new people that, you know, nobody's seen. I think I think theater allows you to create stars mm. in a way that sometimes that doesn't always happen in film and television. You need yeah. the star to sell the show. I mean, it's it, you you could say the same about Broadway, but but a lot of times Broadway shows give you the opportunity to create stars.
1: So on that subject, that's a great lead in. I've noticed that they're bringing more and more stars from the film and television world to Broadway because Broadway was hurting for a long time. And Broadway
0: is so expensive. It's become so expensive to produce a musical. And so, if there's anything you can lock into that's insurance, of course, a producer wants it. And there are some great, great stars and celebrities who should be starring in musicals, right? That's what they should be doing if they if they have the time to do it. Broadway shows the commitment is what. You know, when somebody like Hugh Jackman signs on for a year for The Music Man, he sort of sets the, lit, he sets the bar for everyone else and says, if I can do it, you can do it. But that's the commitment in order for the producers to know that they have an opportunity to make their money back, having that star be a part of their musical. Because music-
1: the Hugh Jackman ticket price was about $425. Oh, of
0: course, they can yeah. they can demand a great deal of money, but it also costs a lot more to have and their salaries are larger. And you know, if they're out of the show, the show takes a big dip. And you got to realize those weeks aren't going to be as profitable as the weeks when they're actually performing. They may have other commitments where they have to leave. So it's all about how do you make them and and theaters, don't forget, are a limited number of seats, right? So how do you make the money back in a limited amount of time, a limited amount of seats for the price it's going to cost to produce that show?
1: So I have a question for you. Do you work with a whole team of business managers too when you're plotting these shows or do you turn that over to other people?
0: Every not not me personally. Every Broadway musical has a a, a general management partner that comes on and manages the fi- the daily finances. The producer does most of that work with the general manager. I'm often in talks with the general manager as the director and choreographer. Because let's say I want I want a giant set piece and the set piece is going to cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to build and they come to me and say can we make it hundred and fifty thousand dollars can we take half the lights out can we take three of the steps out can we make it smaller you know and so it becomes a negotiation sometimes of what will the product allow us to invest. In the hopes being smart about what we think we can earn back from it it is it is a sort of dance you do you do a finance it's a business right music commercial theater is a business nobody's in it to lose money everybody wants to make money from the business but there are some products that you have like moulin rouge where you know you know it comes with a great title it comes with a a hit movie And you'd think, okay, we can spend this much money because we know we have this much of a shot. Then there's a new musical like Kimberly Akimbo, which won all the awards, but nobody knows what that title stands for. Nobody understands it. So they had to be very frugal in the way they spent their money. And it's paid off so far. So, yeah.
1: Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your process So tell me when you get, for example, this idea to do a show based on a book, what's the very first thing you have to do? And if you could just give me kind of like 10 steps.
0: Yeah. So the first thing is, I I read the book and said this is a musical. So I had my lawyer reach out to the author to get the rights to obtain the rights before I spent any time, right? So I obtained the rights. Uh, I got a I got a three year deal to 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 turn it into a musical with 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 other rights in the future if it went past the three years. And of course, it always does. Then I hired a book writer and composers and this was all on my own dime and my own my own initiative and then Once we got together, we decided that we would write the first draft of the musical before we showed it to any producer. So we completed a draft, and then we got producers on board, and I went to my producers of Legally Blonde, How Loved It, Kristen Kassiecki, and Mike Isiskin, and asked them to take it over as producers, and I would remain as sort of a silent producer, but I wanted them to now lead in that way so I could focus on the directing and choreographing. By now, the show was written, and I had a full score. Now I'm listening to the music. I'm listening to tapes and demos of the songs and I'm thinking of the story, the story, the story. How will I best tell this story in dance, in music? And I start to listen and create visuals in my head. Things start to materialize and then I get in a room with some dancers and I start to try some of those things out. Not looking for a finished product really, just starting to feel out the story and the way I'm going to tell it. And that's basically what I do as a choreographer. My choreography, personally, I feel as a director choreographer, I don't want to see where the choreography ends and the direction picks up. I want it to all be one tapestry in a musical. And I've found that I I am most turned on by musicals where I go and I don't know where the choreographer stops and the director begins because it feels musicals today mimic films in the sense that they feel seamless you know the curtain doesn't close we don't change the set and open up to a new set it's kind of a vista and we see it evolve from the first note of the first act till the curtain of the end of the first act and then we come in and we watch the second act but they're kind of like two big scenes right and they work like that and i feel it keeps the audience engaged when you can tell a story on stage that way So that's sort of, and that was really, that was from Michael and Jerry Robbins. That was the way they worked. So it's just, I'm just learning from them and, and continuing, the, continuing that, that a version of storytelling. But a choreographer basically is an author. You're just doing it with physicality, right? Your job is to physically tell the story. And that can be with pantomime, that can be with full out crazy contemporary or tap or jazz or whatever. It can be, it can, it can often in musicals, the choreography is there purely to entertain. And often in musicals, it's there to tell the story and heighten the emotional impact. In Kinky Boots, the end of the first act, I knew that I wanted to celebrate the making of that first Kinky Boot. And Harvey's script had said, the boots keep arriving on conveyor belts, conveyor belts, conveyor belts. And I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do for the finale of this show? And I tell Cindy, I need a song where the, the, the factory workers and the angels, the drag queens are coming together and they're all saying, yeah, we made this boot. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. She goes off and comes back with a song called Everybody Say Yeah. Now I've got the song. I've got the script that says conveyor belts, conveyor belts, conveyor belts. My mind is racing. And I think about the band OK Go when they did that little dance on uh, conveyor belts when YouTube was just starting to become hot. And I saw that and I thought, if I could get conveyor belts up three feet off the stage where a dancer could actually dance on the conveyor belt. I could create a conveyor belt number. And so I went to David Rockwell, my set designer, and I asked him to build me one. He built me a mock-up. It had no bars on it. I fell off of it a hundred times. I thought equity will never allow me to put dancers on it because they'll hurt themselves. I told him to put bars on it. He said, where do you want them? I said, I don't know. Give me eight holes. I'll move the bars around as I develop it. He gave it to me. We built one conveyor belt. Now I needed four, he built me four. Now I bring the dancers into the room and I start creating the number and Steven or is creating the dance arrangement. And I realize, oh, I need to be able to walk in tempo to the song on the conveyor belt. So I have to send all the conveyor belts back to get a locked in groove of the beat, the tempo of the conveyor belt. And now we have to set it to like a click track because it can never waver. And this was six months. Six months of developing one number. Was it worth it? Yes, absolutely. But it's six months and just continuing to just follow that scent. Follow your- Most
1: memorable thing to me about the show uh, is um, is the conveyor belt. It's, it's such yeah. a great, and it's so funny because when I saw the show, I saw it here in LA, I believe at the Palladium. Um, I thought of us, on (laughs) rotating tables, you know. The stage went around and around at 890.
0: turntable, we had a donut. We had a donut and a ring in the rehearsal room for a year at Scandal, a year.
1: Amazing. Wasn't really a year because in my mind, it was nine months, but was it a year?
0: Well, it was over a year. I mean, there there over one year period, we did four workshops, but in between those workshops, I was in the room privately with Michael and Bob, often working on sections or pieces, you know, but we were dancing four four workshops we did four full workshops,
1: and I remember the score was by Jimmy Webb, and we had to count in sevens
0: yes there were there was some there were some crazy beats in that score
1: <laughs> amazing. okay, well, yeah, well, I did want to tell you that I loved the conveyor belt number <laughs> and I also. I am such a fan of Brendan Urie. And that was like brilliant casting.
0: Yeah, he was, he was, that was just, that came at the perfect time. And he was brilliant and a lovely person. And just, it was a perfect, perfect person to be in the show. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and such a great melding of taking a pop star who grew up on musicals. I mean, his music is indicative of swing and pop. And, you know, it's layered with, very
0: theatrical. His, very
1: theatrical. All of,
0: the, all of that pan- panic at the disco was very theatrical stuff. Um,
1: I want to know about the hyphenate title of being a director choreographer. Does <laughs> does it change? Does it become choreographer director or is it always director choreographer now?
0: Well, well, the tradition is it's director choreographer, right? But the truth of the matter is, is I, I used to joke. I used to keep a baseball Cap on the table, and I used to put it on when I was the choreographer and take it off when I was the director, and said, <laughs> "Say if I have the hat on, don't ask me direction questions. Ask me choreography questions. If I take it off, you can ask me anything." But it's kind of like I always see. I was raised as you were, a dancer first, right before you became a choreographer and assistant, and then before you became a director choreographer. So, the director is the person at the top of the food chain. The director is leading leading, the director's steering the ship. That's the job. And there's a lot of different directors who do that much. Everyone does it their own way. Um, But ultimately, it's the director's vision that the choreographer needs to serve and work with the director if they have an idea. The director has to kind of say, yes, I like that. I I want you to do that. Or the director, if they're really good, can help a choreographer make their choreography better i find a lot of young choreographers tend to forget that it, they're 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 eager to show off they're eager to do something and sometimes the musical doesn't require that it requires grace it requires being able to tell the story that the director wants to tell a perfect example and i'm really sorry i don't have their names at the at the tip of my tongue but I went to see Parade, which Michael Arden directed. And the young couple that's married that did the choreography, I thought their work was brilliant for, the for, for, I think it's their Broadway debut, but the meld of their work with Michael's and how it's all in the same, what I like to say, tone. The musical is in the same tone. It just makes it spectacular to watch. You know it's tough material, right? You got to go in knowing you're going to have a you're going to have a tough time at that musical. It and 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 I really appreciated it and really loved it and one uh, best revival. But but part of the reason is because there is absolute confidence in the tone in the story in which everyone is telling. They're all on the same page, and that's when I love theater. I love theater when I walk in and I see that kind of craft. On display. That makes me really think, wow, there's there's hope in the theater.
1: I'm so with you. I think I'm like one of the biggest critics I know. And um I'm also one of the biggest cheerleaders. You know, I want to love a show
0: I love it. I love every. I find something to love in every show I go to, but some shows just blow you away, right? And that that blew me away. Sweeney Todd blew me
1: away. Uh, oh, I, the choreography I, on the Tonys. I had only seen that clip, but I thought that staging was brilliant. Just the choreography of this sort of like loose floppy that they brought. And the way yeah. they put the, the sort of ensemble all together front and center. You have,
0: you have to see the show. Yeah. Stephen Hunt's work on Sweeney Todd. The appearance and disappearance of Sweeney and Mrs. Love is... Just it's spectacular. I don't know if that was Thomas or 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 Stephen or both of them or the set designer, but it's brilliant. It's just really wonderful work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was really blown away by this year's Tonys. Besides the fact that everyone was making it up as they were
0: <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't watched it because. <laughs> I missed the whole opening dance number, which I've heard was spectacular. I still haven't watched it because they had given me that Tony, the Isabel Stevenson, and then you, whisk you off to the press room. And so I missed like the first hour of the Tony.
1: Let's talk about Scandal because as much as we're sort of a line here and a line there in a lot of books about the creation of a Broadway show, I would love to really share because just for me, the fact is we recently lost Treat Williams um, who yeah. was one of the leads, Swoozy Kurtz, Priscilla Lopez, Kelly Bishop. I mean, all of these divas were in the room with us every single day. I would love to hear, before I got to audition at 890, and I think there must have been 2,000 people at those auditions.
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: Crazy. What wow. was the process when Michael Bennett first asked you and Danny and Jody to start Skeleton?
0: Danny and Michael and Bob were doing a fashion show for Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, Theoni Aldrich had designed the Jane Fonda workout wear. I don't know if you remember, she had a line of workout wear, Jane Fonda workout clothes. And, uh, And so she was doing a big fashion show at the Schubert Theater and Michael was putting it together and Danny was really choreographing it. So I auditioned for it. Danny asked me to audition for it and I did. And then I got cast in this Jane Fonda fashion show. And so we did this fashion show at the Schubert. And what happened in the process of creating the fashion show, Michael wanted to do a pas de deux in the fashion show. And he chose Jody and I to be the lead couple in the fashion show and followed us a day in New York City as two dancers. And we had a pas de deux to um, Linda Ron's dance, I Got a Crush on You, where Jody changed from dance clothes to like evening clothes in a Jane Fonda outfit. And we did this pas de deux. So we did the fashion show. It was a big success. And I was doing, I was dancing on the Tony Awards, and Michael was getting a special award for a chorus line. And he said, Hey, I'm working on this new musical down at 890. Why don't you come down? uh tomorrow and dance with us and I said sure so I went I I didn't know he had I didn't know Jody was coming too so somehow Jody was there I was there and then we started having auditions and then Bob and Michael one day just took Jody and I in the other room and Danny Danny was already associate and he said, we love the pas de stuff we did in the fashion show and we love what you guys do together. We wanna to add the two of you as associates to try and create this menage a trois ballet. And that was where that all began because Dan Michael was so uh, high on this idea of bringing that kind of dance, contemporary dance, partner dance, lifting all of that stuff to this number, which he didn't really have that experience in. And so, you know, yeah, so we started the process. And, you know, for me, it was, I can't even remember how amazing it was. You know, it was amazing to be in that room working on something brand new and just being being a part of that. And, you know, uh, the show, of course, n- never happened for many reasons. But then when, when Michael went to London to do chess, he took me with him. Well, first of all, Danny and I and Jody, He, he when the, when scandal didn't happen, he tried to find us all jobs because that's who Michael was. So we were all sent down to Michael Peters for um, uh, leader of the pack. And Danny and Jody got leader in the pack and I didn't because because they had already been there and he was hiring two more swings. So Michael took me to London to do chess. So I went to London with him and Bob and we started casting chess and I did the whole uh, dance auditions and we cast the whole show, came back. That's when Michael got sick and then that was off. And then Bob asked me to go back to London with him to do Follies and we did Follies together. And that was, you know, that was, and then Michael passed away when we were doing Follies. But Bob was a big influence on my life after Scandal all through, all through, you know my career mike bob was always there for me as a mentor as a as a he he helped me financially bob really took care of me he was he was truly a big part of my life and an influence uh, after michael passed away
1: it left a hole in my heart but I also feel like I was sort of one of those you know lucky stars to be part of the creation of, of a show and I remember when they stapled a dollar to our contract and said this is you know when this show becomes a hit and there's multiple productions all over the world you'll own a piece of it
0: yeah don't you remember when um we had the strip show for the girls no we Michael remember we had to we had to do we had to do a strip show we had to put on a strip show for the girls and it was after rehearsal so all the boys all the boys did a did a strip routine for the girls and we had to do our own characters and everything and Michael ordered pizzas and beer and wine and and we all did strip routines because there was stripping in the show right and I remember that day. So I did a paint number and I painted my body, which ended up being in the show. Michael Reagan did a number with a bathtub and rings and that ended up being in the show. That was how those numbers ended up being in the show, part of the show, because we kind of created them for this evening. And then we decided which ones we liked and Michael put them in the show.
1: Mike Reagan was working evenings at a club where he was a merman.
0: Swimming, yes, swimming in the swimming.
1: swimming
0: Yeah, I think it was that. I think
1: it was that Eleventh Avenue or something.
0: Area was that area. I
1: I remember that was a good gig. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, we were very lucky. We were those people that didn't have to be serving food at night. We were really making a living at what we loved to do, and that is one of the reasons I love this podcast because. Nobody gave us a roadmap. You know, it's not like when you become a doctor, um, well, this is what you have to do to get here. These are the degrees you need. You're sort of flung out into the universe. And that's really what I love about, I talk about it as your yellow brick road to success, you know, because I love all those Oz analogies and really how you invent your path.
0: Yeah. And every single dancer, uh, we have similarities, but they're all uniquely different because we have different gifts and and part of what you have to remember is and it's the hardest thing as you're a performer because I I was one too before I became a director choreographer and even as a director choreographers try to not to pre- compare yourself to the other dancer to the other director to the other choreographer what is your unique uh take on the creative process and bring as much of that uniqueness to the process because that's really what defines you and your your style your your what you like to do the stories you like to tell the way you approach the approach the piece that's that's is the more you can be true to yourself when you're doing it the more unique that piece will be
1: I wanted to add another thing that I think is a multi-hyphenate too. You have a, a great ability to tell a story verbally as well. You're able to create, Bob Talmadge had that gift too when we worked on Nike shows. You can go in and visualize it for people who have quote unquote no imagination. You're able to tell a story in the room to say this is what it's going to be before they actually see it. And that's a little bit of sales. That's a little yes. bit being a good speaker, um, good acting. You know, you have to set a flavor and a tone and enlist trust in people giving you millions of dollars. Yes. <laughs>
0: and- you have to, you, you, re- and you have to figure those skills you hone. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, of course, nowadays with computers and internet and visual. Uh, supplementation, you have a lot of things to help you. I created a keynote, which I've never done in my life, like just recently. And I found it really helpful to, to give those ideas on one little thing to everybody on the team, because I used to do it in a, I used to do it in a, um in a sketch pad, and I would cut out pieces of things or ideas that inspired me or draw or sketch, or I would keep it in paper and I would just pass it around to everybody. Even Broadway Bears, when we first did Broadway Bears, I would cut out pictures of what I wanted the dancers to wear, tape them and then bring them to the rehearsal and say something like this, because we were we were dressing ourselves. You 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 figure out a way to inspire the creative people who are working with you on the project to get everyone, like I said, in that same tone zone that you want to tell the story in.
1: I got to see Jerry Mitchell hold and describe each one of his Tonys. It was very, very exciting. (laughs) Not quite as exciting as being in the room and holding them myself, but the next best thing. Look at those, they're beautiful. Are they
0: heavy? This one's very heavy. And this one for kinky boots is very heavy. But if you notice, maybe you can see the the original one that I got, or the first one I got, not the original one, see it's much shorter.
1: Oh, it is. This
0: This one is a lacquer wood base. And now these are made with a marble base. So yeah, they changed over the years. I remember Terrence McNally showing me his Tonys because I think he's got like four. And each one was a little bit different because he won them at different times. And the Tonys, they used to be a medallion, just a medallion, before it became a statue.
1: There's, there's something there's, holding it.
0: Yes, yes. And now now you get to take them with you to the event because they they have your name on the back already when you get it because they they used to have you used to have to send them back in and they would engrave them and send them back to now they sort of know ahead of time and they are already pre-engraved and you get it and you get to take it with you everywhere you go I I love what I do. I feel so lucky to do it and I don't take any of it for granted. It's really it's really a blessing.
1: Thanks very much for listening to this episode and please share all the episodes with your friends and colleagues. We appreciate your ratings and comments on Apple podcasts and on social media. If you'd like more information about our programs and our special people and projects, please access www.morezap.com. More Zap Productions for Talent and Literary. And if you'd like to book a special one-on-one coaching or a group clinic or workshop, please access passion-power.com and you can fill out our form there and make a request. Thanks again.